Paul the Apostle. Yeah, arguably the most famous of all the Pauls. Paul who said things like this, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. The Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul who wrote these words, possibly some of the most famous sentences ever written and read at countless weddings all over the world. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love never fails. The Paul who sometimes sounds like a mystic, for in him we live and move and have our being. But also the Paul who sometimes says harder things to hear, Slaves, obey your masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. What are we to do with that passage in a modern context? So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the most famous Paul in history and the second most important figure in the New Testament. But good morning, everyone. It's, it's great to see you all. It's good to be here. This is all a bit different, isn't it? Uh, Charlie, thanks so much. You've done a great job with Studio One here and, and Studio Two uh, next door. Now we just need a makeup department. Or in the absence of that, some way of photoshopping videos so that I can look maybe taller and a bit slimmer and, and maybe a bit younger as, as well. Uh, fat chance of that, I think. Uh, but as Charlie said, for the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, journeying with the Apostle Paul, getting to know Paul a bit better. Uh, listening to what he says, seeing some of the things he does, uh, learning from learning from Paul. Uh, and reading uh, about Paul recently, uh, looking at some of the accounts of his life, I, I kind of visualise a bit of an early Bear Grylls, an adventurer. Uh, this is how Paul describes some of his experiences. I've worked much harder been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once, I've been shipwrecked three times, and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard travelling year out, in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by the desert sun and sea storm, and betrayed by those who I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labour, many a long and lonely night without sleep, missed many a meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. Phew. Definitely not holiday, is it? Uh, pretty, pretty hardcore was poor, uh, Paul. That, that, those, that reading comes about two, verse, two chapters before the love chapter in Corinthians. Uh, we, we forget that one and we remember the other one. Uh, as Josh said earlier, Paul was, Paul was a great traveller and on that map we can see some of his, some of his journeys. Uh, Jerusalem down there, up through Lebanon, into Syria, Turkey, Cyprus. Greece, Macedonia, Malta, and finally appeared Rome, uh, where, where, where Paul died, where Paul was killed. But not 
some extended gap year. Not just travel to see the world. Uh, all that travel, all that hardship was, was for a purpose. For Paul, it was all about Jesus. All about the gospel. He wasn't really an adventurer. He was a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a church planter, theologian, a letter writer, an encourager, a nurturer. He was, as we noted earlier, one of the key figures in the spread of Christianity. Not, but not just that, but also in the growth, the formation of the church, and in the development of a coherent Christian theology, a way of seeing the world, a way of understanding what God has done in Jesus, which of course makes him well worthy of our attention. It's a bit of background. Paul, or, or Saul as he was then called, was born somewhere between 5 and 10 AD. His family were Pharisees. And yeah, that word carries lots of weight, uh, lots of baggage, if you like, with us. But he'd have grown up in this environment that was ordered around Jewish practice, around Jewish tradition, around the festivals, and especially around obedience, obedience to the Torah, to the Jewish law. This was a family where faith was determinative, where faith was, was all-encompassing. Paul's family was, was based here in Tarsus, in the southeast of what is modern-day Turkey. Tarsus was then a Greek city, with all the tradition, all the culture that went with that. In fact, in those days, Tarsus rivaled Athens as a centre of Greek philosophy was also part of the Roman Empire with all that that meant politically and culturally and so on. On top of that, and you can see there from the geography, it was, it was a commercial centre, an important stopping off point on the east-west and the west-east trade. As a young man, Paul was probably apprenticed to his father in the family tent-making business, meeting the needs of the locals, the Roman army and the steady stream of commercial travellers just passing through the city. I guess you could say that like us, Paul grew up in a complex, multicultural world. A giant smorgasbord of different cultures, beliefs and traditions, which in itself brought great opportunities, but also great challenges. And I guess that most of us have met Paul primarily through his letters, there are, there are 13 letters in the New Testament attributed to Paul. And, and Galatians was quite probably the first one to be written. Probably sometime about AD 48. Uh, so about 18 years after Jesus' death and, and 15 years after Saul met with Jesus, or rather Jesus met with Saul on the road to Damascus. And one of the things I find fascinating is that Paul begins this letter like Paul begins this whole stream of letters by highlighting some of the themes that would dominate his subsequent thinking and writing. Time and again, Paul returns to these themes, maybe a bit like an overture at the beginning of an opera or a musical, where, where the theme is set, and time and again through the story, you find fragments of that tune, of that melody, coming back again and again, being explored in, in slightly different ways. So let's hear that passage again. 
Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age, this present evil age, according to the will of our Father, the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory to the age of ages. Reading that verse this week, there was this one phrase that I've put in yellow that, that caught my attention. Paul talks about Christ rescuing us from this, this present age. And in that term, he's, I guess, drawing on his Jewish heritage. You see, Jewish scholars believed that history was divided into two ages. They called it the, the present age or maybe the present evil age, that phrase that's there, and the age to come. So the present age and the age to come. The present evil age does not mean, Paul's not saying that the world itself is evil or that God's beautiful creation is not good. But rather it's acknowledging that the way that we have organised, if you like, our life on earth, distorts that good creation with the consequence that life is so often experienced, marked by some of these things, sorrow and shame and sin and exile and death. But the age to come expresses the idea that, the Jewish hope really, that God has not abandoned the world that he has not abandoned his people, but that he would put things right. He would, if you like, bring earth and heaven together. Tom Wright talks about making the earth one glory-filled temple. The temple was where God was present. It was where God lived. It was where God's name is hallowed, where God's name is praised and adored. Make the earth one glory-filled temple where... God's spirit enables his people to keep the law perfectly. That which they so failed to do that God would enable them to keep the law perfectly. And the age to come will be marked by some of these things, by shalom, by peace, by wholeness and forgiveness and righteousness and deliverance and freedom and joy. So the present age and the age to come. And, and, and sitting between these two things, we have what the Old Testament tends to call the day of the Lord. If you read through the prophets, often they, they use this phrase, the day of the Lord will come. When God's chosen one, his anointed, his, his Messiah, would defeat the forces of evil that oppress God's people, would bring forgiveness and healing and inaugurate God's kingdom and what paul is saying in the in these few words at the beginning what paul says again and again and again through his writing is that all that he hoped for as a jew reached its goal reached its climax in jesus paul writes as a jew who has come to see jesus as the goal and the culmination and the fulfillment of all that his jewish faith had taught him 
and expressed. God had done what he said he was going to do. And it is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for Paul that is the cataclysmic event, if you like, that has brought all this about. In those events, in the death, the resurrection of Jesus, in what we've just remembered as we've shared communion together, the floodgates of God's mercy have been flung wide open. That wonderful hymn that we began with put it. Grace and mercy have engulfed the earth, offering forgiveness and wholeness and release from the oppressive power of death and sin, offering a joy and a peace and a life that is eternal. And Paul sees all of that being fulfilled in Jesus. But, but Paul's also rewriting this schema, if you were. He's saying that these two ages, the present age and the age to come, overlap rather than one following on from the other. He's saying that this age to come, this promised age, is, is both something we know and experience now, or rather we get a glimpse of it and an experience of now, but something which remains a future promise. Jesus is already Lord of this world. Jesus is Lord. And one day he will return and heaven and earth will be united. But for now, we live here in the already and the not yet. It's like if we have one of those maps which says, you are here. You know, it's like when you're in a strange place and you, and you see and it says, you are here. Paul's saying, you are here. The middle bit, Christ has died, Christ is risen, but Christ, and we're waiting for Christ to return. And rereading Paul this week and thinking about it, struck me how much of Paul, what Paul writes, is, is there to help us make sense of being here. Of already experiencing God's grace and God's goodness and God's liberation and God's freedom, but living with brokenness. Brokenness within and, and brokenness without. And Paul's trying to give us a framework to work through how we live here in this experience of already and, and not yet, which I guess we all resonate with, we all feel. And for Paul, it's this framework, this hope, which sustained him even when his life was tough as it gets. And we, we heard about that earlier. We do not lose heart, he says. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm often tempted to lose heart. Particularly at a time like this. Zoom fatigue. Lockdown fatigue, all the other things that go with a time like this. I'm tempted to lose heart. And each time as I take communion, each time I find myself saying those words, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Then I'm encouraged to look beyond my circumstances, beyond the present reality, and to grasp and to draw strength from this bigger picture that Paul gives us. This is God's story, and we're still here, and he has the final word, and that word is life, and that word is love. And that gives me hope, and gives me resources to carry on, and to not lose heart. But before we finish, let's just go back to the very first word there. Paul, an apostle... Paul says something about how he sees himself. 
Paul an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. That's how Paul sees himself. He is a sent man, if you like. You've heard about a kept man. Paul is a sent man. His life is now lived in service to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. It is Jesus, the person of Jesus, and what God was doing through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, that gives Paul's life meaning and shape and substance. For Paul, his life makes absolutely no sense apart from Jesus, apart from his love for God, his loyalty to God. His priorities are shaped by Jesus, how he spends his time, how he uses his money when he has money, and Paul didn't always have money, his energy, the value, the attitudes he nurtures in himself, the way he interprets, the way he understands the world and his experience, all put under the lordship of Christ. And for me, in a sense, that's the great challenge and the great inspiration and the great attraction of Paul. That's what draws me to him. You can take away Christ and there's almost nothing left, an empty shell. I am, however, alive, but it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I do still live in the flesh, I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Tom Wright's translation of Galatians 2, verse 20. Just imagine seeing your own life like that. Just imagine living like that, allowing your life to be totally shaped by what God has done in Jesus, by what God is now doing in and through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I struggle to do that. I'm happy to say that my faith is important to me and that I try to live it out. I'm happy to say that even if I do struggle to put that into practice, but to say that my faith defines who I am, well, that's harder. And maybe that's the challenge for this week. Maybe to spend time with this verse, to learn it, to to meditate on it. Maybe to say it to yourself as the day begins and the day ends and to seek to own it for yourself. Will you do that? Give it a go. Amen. Let's, Let's pray. Andrew, can you put just that verse up full screen? Let's just sit with that that verse for a moment. I am, however, alive, but it isn't me any longer. It's the Messiah who lives in me. And the life I do still live in the flesh. I live within the faithfulness of the love of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live within the faithfulness of the Son of God. Say that to yourself. Who loved me? I'm loved. I'm held. And gave himself for me. One of the
the prayers in the daily office I use, uh, which which I say day by day. I'll try to say day by day. I don't always uh, achieve it. Go, goes like this, and again, it's something that keeps me grounded. I pray this for all of us. Living God, enable us this day to be pilgrims and companions, committed to the way of Christ, faithful to the call of Christ, discerning the mind of Christ, offering the welcome of Christ, growing in the likeness of Christ, engaging in the mission of Christ, in the world that belongs to Christ. Amen.